In this episode, we are joined by Beverly Pugh. Beverly came forward from the Disability and Long-Term Conditions Voice Group at Royal Wolverhampton NHS Trust. Here, she shares her experience of living with a long-term condition. So, Beverly, would you like to introduce yourself? Okay. My name is Beverly Pugh. I'm 62 years of age. Um, I'm currently a PA office manager working in critical care services at New Cross Hospital in Wolverhampton. Um, I've worked for Royal Wolverhampton Trust for 25 years, firstly as Wolverhampton City PCT and then RWT, uh, but I've been in theatres, based in theatres for the last seven years. Wow, so you've got quite a, a range of years within the NHS, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, this pod, like this podcast is around living with a long-term condition and you've obviously let us know that you do have a long-term condition. Would you like to tell us more about your experience of having a long-term, con- a long-term condition? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, um, I have had cancer twice. Um, in 20, August 2011, um, I discovered a neck lump. Um, so following treatment and you know radiotherapy and chemo, that's left me with, um, uh, I suppose, dietary, differences in my my life Um, so that is something that I that is ongoing Um, and then four years ago in August 2018 um, I had lung cancer so um, I mean I can go into the the details of of, um, diagnosis and treatment and everything but basically I live with um, shortness of breath at the moment um, but it doesn't impact on my life a great deal Um, I'm four years into recovery. Um, climbing a hill is a challenge, uh, but every day walking around, um, I mean, I've recently come back off holiday and I managed to do over 10,000 steps each day. So even though I've had lung cancer with the treatment that I received, I'm living with the condition um, with some life impacting changes, but uh, nothing that's uh, a great disadvantage to me. Yeah, so um, did having a previous experience of having cancer, so obviously you you got first diagnosed and then you got second diagnosed, did having that previous experience help you understand and deal with the news when you got told like the second time around? It it did, and to be honest, when I was told the second time around um, by the lung cancer nurse specialist, I sort of thought, what? I can't believe it, not again. You know, where's this coming from? Because originally, when uh, they finished treating me for my neck lump, they said, this is really strange, this lump is a secondary, but we can't find where the primary is. And I'd had CT scans, and so somewhere it was hidden away, this this primary. So obviously, when my lung cancer came back, that was the primary. Um, and I, because I knew what the treatment plan and what I went through before, it did help. And I wasn't as scared because you prepared, more or less. But it was still scary, you know, but I thought, well, I've beaten it once, you know, I'm going to do it again. And um, so that's that was my mindset at the time. And it was a, it was a stage three. I had it in two areas, in my esophagus and on my lung. Um, so. But I think I was just like a rabbit in headlights. I just thought I live a healthy life. You know, I I don't drink, I don't smoke. But I was just told, well, you're just unlucky. <laughs> 
um you know it's it's just one of those things so you just got to you've got to get on with it you can't you can't be worrying about something you've no control over so trying to be positive was was a major thing a major thing with me yeah I was gonna say because I know um like obviously like my dad um was diagnosed with cancer and unfortunately he's no longer here but um people think like when they get told they've got cancer that their life's over and that it's a hard it's a hard thing to understand whereas like you you have had that positive mindset of I've been through this once I can beat it again the second time around and I think that's really yeah great like great that you can that you have that understanding if you get what I mean I lost both my parents. My mom was 59. My dad was 63, both with cancer. But this was sort of like over 30, 35, 38 years ago, within two years of each other. But then there wasn't the technology that there is now. Had they had this disease now, they'd have been survivors. So, so uh, the treatment's being developed all the time and the technology is developed. So it's not the... The end of the world as it used to be you've, yeah. you've got to have more of a we can sort this you know have faith in the medical team and the professionals who are, who are you're under their care and you know you, it can be dealt with I mean sometimes you don't have a positive outcome but my specialist that I've had in both occasions my um the head and neck consultant and the uh, oncologist I've just dealt with, I mean, they were both amazing. I feel so lucky that I've had them to take care of me. And it makes you feel as though you're a special individual. But I know that they'd be that, like that with every patient that they have. But it's um, it's 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 not the the finality that it used to be, the final thing. So you just you just got to think I'm just going to get on with this. And, you know. I yeah, think to look forward to it's it's you have to have something in your mindset that you've got to I'm going to get this done by you know by Christmas or something like that and each time I have been back at work within six months and I've made that my pledge to get back to work and I've managed to do it both times so you know it's um I'm really yeah. interested Beverly in your resilience actually I know. <laughs> not what you've just said, but also you mentioned that on the first diagnosis, you were aware <clears throat> that what they'd found was secondary and that there was primary somewhere. Yeah. And I'm just curious about how you managed with that knowledge for all those years until they discovered what the, the primary cancer was. But I think I just put it to the back of my mind. I think I thought, well... It was a mystery because I thought there's somewhere in my body there's a primary, but they couldn't find anything. Um, I'd had CT scans and, and x-rays and obviously it was tucked away somewhere in my lung or in my esophagus. But what, what is uh, interesting is um, I'm adopted and my birth father died with esophageal cancer and my adoptive dad died with the same thing. So obviously it's hereditary. But it was just, must have been so tiny, it wasn't, you know, it couldn't be picked up by the scan. But I didn't dwell on that. You know, I just thought, I've got over my cancer with my neck lump. So I've just got to just, you know, carry on. And then if it appears, it appears. But after five years, you sort of think, well, the five years has gone by. That's like the benchmark, isn't it? When you feel that you're in remission and you're clear. 
but obviously, I mean, with me, it's been seven years. <laughs> so I don't know what triggered it off again. Um, it just, it just happened. You know, I wasn't ill. I didn't feel ill with it. Just before I was diagnosed with lung cancer, I'd been to New York, walked miles and miles. I had this irritating cough. And I just thought, when I get back home, I'm going to get some antibiotics off the doctor, thinking that's all it was. And then, obviously, I had this um, had this diagnosis, which was it was it it was it was mad. It was just like, well, why has this happened again? <laughs> so, with your second diagnosis, was it just that you had that cough and you was like, yeah. I need to go to the doctors? Yeah, yeah. I just thought, well, what was happening was after I came back off holiday, I was moving in with my partner and I thought he was going to be so annoyed with me, <laughs> cough, coughing all the time. I've got to get this sorted because I had no other symptoms. I just thought I'd got a chest infection. I was taking all sorts of like over the counter um, remedies. And um, yeah, so when I went to the doctor, I, mean, I was lucky as, as well to have a really good GP who was just on the ball. You know, he just got me sorted straight away um, with both with both diagnosis. Um, if it wasn't for his swift action, you know, I, I, it, months, weeks could have gone by. But so, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so you touched on having immunotherapy. Yes. Do you want to go through what that is and like what your experiences were of that? OK, well, um, Immunotherapy, the, the, the course of treatment I had was new to the UK and I was the first one to trial. It was Diverlimab, I think the name of the um, the treatment was. And it's um, what it is, how my consultant explained it was cancer cells get used to the drugs that are going into your body, like the chemo and, and that kind of things. But um, and so they're they get immune to it in a way, but with this immunotherapy, which I think is a human, human, um, I don't know, I can't remember, immunoglobin or something it is. So sorry, I haven't got the words for that. Um, but it, it seeks out the cancer cells that are hidden away and will fight them. And it's, um, I had a one hour treatment every two weeks for 12 months and I had no effect. In fact, I felt quite well after it. You know, I had no side effects from it. Some people do react, but again, um, and it, as I say, it's a new thing. But uh, if you can get put on this treatment, it's just like an after treatment after the chemo, and uh, it's for twelve months. And it's sort of and it carries on. It's in your body, and it's carrying on fighting the cancer cells when they should they appear again. There is probably a lot more to it than what I'm sort of basically describing, but um, I just, again, I feel lucky that I was put on that programme. You mentioned about every two weeks having that treatment, Beverly, yeah. and yeah. I'm just wondering the impact that has on somebody in their life, having to go and have that treatment every, how did that impact on kind of your social life, working, how did that, yeah. how did you get through it? Work were amazing with me. They allowed me to have the time off. Um, and I, because I work three days a week, I, I would try to get the appointments on the days that I wasn't at work. I mean, it was at a different hospital. I had to go to Russell's Hall Hospital in Dudley for that treatment because New Cross didn't, um, weren't able to give it at that time. And it was a big chunk of my day. But at the end of the day, I thought, if this is helping, 
I've, I've got to do it. You know, I was, I was open to anything that was going to help me. Mm. And as I say, socially, um, it didn't didn't change anything. In fact, I felt quite well having it. Yeah. Brilliant. So what would you say like the benefits were of so from what you said, it sounds like you if you didn't want to have it, you didn't have to have it, did you? What do you mean a therapy? Yeah. Yeah, I think you can decline it, but you want whatever's best for you. And if for your you. consultant is yeah. saying this is, you know, almost a gold standard treatment, and if you're offered it, then you, you must accept it. They, yeah. they give you a long list of uh, contraindications and things that can happen, the side effects. And then it's your choice whether you yeah. want to go ahead with it or not. But no, I was uh, I was more than happy to, to have it. <laughs> Yeah. So what would you say the benefits of having it were? The knowledge that it's um, it's helping to fight whatever cancer cells are there. And it's it's I felt it was for my good, um, you know, and I would have been a fool to have to have rejected something that I thought my oncologist thought was best for me. Mm. Yeah, you, you, you put, you've got to put your faith in them. And if they say have it, then, you know. You, it gives you, you that peace of mind, doesn't it? That's it. That's it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so as you said, you've always set yourself a goal um, to be back at work within six months. Um, what motivated you to want to go back to work? Um, I just wanted normal again. You know, I didn't want to be ill. You know, it's not uh, nobody wants to be ill, but I've I've never had any illness in my life. And for the two main times that I'm ill for it to be this, you know, and it's it's just I wanted my normal life back, even if it was just, you know, journeying to work and just meeting people, taking the thought of what I was going through off my mind and interacting with other people, socialising, talking about what was on TV last night or, you know, it's just um, part of the healing process to just know that you can go back to what was, you know, it's um, that helped me an awful lot. Yeah, because you you don't want it to be the elephant in the room, do you? Where like people are, don't want to, they don't want to approach the subject, or they don't want to talk about it. No, no. I mean, whether it's because I was in a nursing environment, you know, I felt that I could talk to people, um, and I, I sort of felt felt safe to know that I was in the environment that if I did think, well, you know, that doesn't feel right, that I could go and ask somebody. So, again, I I feel looking more ways than one <laughs> yeah um so what help and support did work put in place and give you to enable you to come back to work within those six months that you'd given yourself well um my line manager at the time i mean she was she was so supportive um you know she i was she was always at the end of the line and she would chat to me about how, how i was feeling and she would make sure because i said i want to come back um she's uh, put a phased return in place so I would do perhaps two mornings a week um, then to step it up but to be honest by the time I did go back to work I felt fine obviously tired I get tired a lot more um, but I just took it steadily and they were really supportive um, I couldn't have wished for, for more support from the people that I work with and for. It sounds like you you were constantly thinking about the future and what that held for you yeah, rather yeah. than thinking about what you were dealing with in that yeah. moment yeah and that, yeah. that 
found that a helpful way to to get you through from what you're saying. Isn't it yeah. interesting how the people around you all are trying to cope in their own way, but all in very different ways? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, as I say, my my youngest daughter, she she was there, but she she she's a lot like me in some ways, but she shied away from it, whereas. Um, all my appointments at the hospital, my eldest daughter and my, my partner would come with me because when you go to appointments, everything just goes over your head. You hear the first few lines and then it's you, you, you sort of think about that. But all the other stuff that comes that you said, you tend to forget. So it's good to have somebody who's quite calm and um, strong with you so that they can listen to the things that aren't being that you're not taking in. <laughs> Mm. You also mentioned low points, though, Beverly. You, you, you yeah. spoke about there were times when yeah. um, you, you know, you, you were no longer able or wanted to be that positive person. Oh, yes, there were times. What were those moments like for you, and how did you cope? Well, um, with my lung cancer treatments, the radiotherapy was aimed at my esophagus, which meant that. It, it, it burnt it basically, it burnt that so I couldn't even sip water because it was just so painful. Um, I couldn't eat anything, I mean, I lost about three stone in weight and that brings you down, obviously it would make you feel very low. I lost all my hair um, and that's a big, you know, I like my hair to look nice but that all just came out and it's coping with things like that and there are some days when I'd wake up and the day's stretching ahead and I hadn't got the energy to do anything, you know. So those are my low days. Um, but somehow you've got to get your mind around and, and just take each day as it comes. And the next day I could feel better. You know, if the weather was nice, you know, you know, that would lift me. So it's it's a lot of so mindset as well. Moments. You were looking for those moments to pull you out of yeah. where you... You've got, yeah, you've got to look for good things and... I mean, both times it happened over the winter time. Um, both were Christmases as well. So it, it, it's, it's just you have to look for the good amongst the darkness, really. Yeah, you you pointed out not to dwell on the ne like on the negative and the bad days, and yeah, you've you've got that mindset of even though today's a bad day, tomorrow yeah. may be completely different. Could be another day, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, no, so you've got to take each day as it comes and eventually you will turn the corner and you will start getting better days a lot more often. Yeah. Can I also ask about um sort of it's a personal thing, so it'd be okay if you don't want to answer it, but I was just you, you said about obviously your hair loss, weight loss. Was there a point when you were thinking about going back into the office when you were thinking about your sort of appearance because I can see that you take your time to make yourself look <laughs> lovely oh. um and and so I can understand how that you know hair for women is sort of really important these things are having our makeup on feeling you know nails done that we can present ourselves to the world how did that affect you when you needed to well, go I still put my makeup on I still had to put my makeup on good for you I couldn't go out the front door without my makeup on so that I mean, I did, that and I had a, I had a, a couple of really lovely wigs. <laughs> um, but by the time I went back to work, I mean, the the, 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 excuse me, the first time I just lost my hair from around the back, so I was fine to go to work because I'd got the kind of hairstyle where it didn't look like I'd lost any hair. 
obviously losing everything the second time. By the time I went back to work, it was probably about a centimetre and I'd had that coloured and it, it didn't, I wasn't me. I didn't look right and I was very self-conscious, but I thought, what the hell? You know, I've, I've got through my treatment. I'm, I'm back at work. People are just going to have to accept me for, for how I look, you know, and um, I did, I, it was a bit, I was a bit shy when I first got to work, but then people got used to me and it soon grew back. You know, hair's nothing, it grows back. You know, it's uh, it's not nice for a woman to start with um, because with me, what happened was um, I was, I'd got my hair with the second time and I was having um, a shower, I'm losing my voice, hang on a second. <clears throat> and what happened was I was rubbing the shampoo in and suddenly it, knotted into a big dreadlock at the back and I had to have it all cut off so it all went in one big thing but wigs are fantastic these days you know you if you want to wear them or you like the bandanas or, or whatever um what I will say at the end of my treatment in between immunotherapy and at the end of my chemo for lung cancer I developed neutropenic sepsis <laughs> because the <laughs> the um the treatment that I had for the lung therapy, the lung cancer, was so radical and extreme. Even the nurses were saying, we've never seen a programme like this before. I think my, my oncologist just wanted to get rid of it quickly. Um, so I, I, I finished the treatment and then over that weekend, I don't know whether my body just relaxed and I slept nearly the whole weekend. When I came to go to my hospital appointment on the Tuesday, I, I just I had to slide down the, the stairs on my bottom because I hadn't got the energy to walk down the stairs. And so they admitted me and everything was just, my platelets were really low. And I was on drip for, for two weeks, trying with blood infusions and all sorts. But that was just the impact of having this um, chemotherapy. But then that I got over that, I came out and... That was all, again, part of my recovery. So it sounds like I've been through a lot, but, you know, if, 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 if you're healthy and you look after yourself, and they said, believe it or not, I was young, even at 58, I was young to go through all this treatment. So my oncologist said, you know, you can do this. You, you, you know, you don't drink, you don't smoke, you can get through this radical treatment. And, and I did. So if anybody else is put on this treatment and you've looked after yourself and you're healthy, then... You, you you can your body will accept it and, and fight it and sorry that's a bit waffly isn't it <laughs> you know you're right you're an absolute inspiration Beverly you know and people yeah. that will, will listen to this will, will sort of really gather strength from it so thanks for being so honest oh that's no that's fine I have one last final question it's not okay but um, you mentioned about being in hospital for two weeks. So did that have an impact on your family? So like from my own personal experience, my dad was always in and out of hospital, in and out. So that really, because I was only, I think I was about 16, 17 at the time. So I was still dependent on my mom and my dad. Um, and it really affected everyone's home life. Like my brothers, my mom's. Would you say it affected your family outlook, if that makes sense? Um, again, my youngest daughter only came to see me once. She didn't yeah. want to see me lying in a hospital bed. My eldest daughter, she she lived quite a way away. So she came 
She came a few times when she was able to. Um, my partner came most days. Um, I didn't really want to, to see many people on my, you know, for, for me, I didn't want many people visiting me because I just, I just didn't feel, feel well while I was in hospital and I didn't want to, oh, I, I, I can't explain it, but the impact on the family really was they just, um, they were there for me. I could talk to them at any point. I think with my partner, he, he would uh, do what he could, but you know, he was able to come and see me and then then come home. So it didn't really have, I don't feel it had an impact on, on the family that much. Um, maybe there's things that happened that I didn't know about, which they didn't say to me, but no, I think, uh, no. That makes total sense. <laughs> I'm wondering about now, where are you now um, in your life and, and, you know, what's your kind of immediate plans for the future and stuff? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm still at work three days a week. Um, so I just come back off holiday. I, I'm just carrying on, you know, um, got another holiday booked in in, uh, in July, going to Portugal. But now I uh, I just, my life is back to normal apart from breath breathlessness, which is something that I'm, I live with. Um, I just feel as though I'm, I'm just back to normal. I don't, I go for my review meetings and I, I always get nervous, obviously, before my review meetings because you just never know mm. what's going to be said. But, you know, the last few times I've been, it's, you know, everything's clear and, you know, my oncologist will show me the picture of my, the x-ray. And um, so at the moment, yes, I'm in, I'm in remission and I don't think I've got to see her now for six months. So whereas it was sort of every couple of months and then every quarter and then, um, and she was um, she was sent. Dr. Coe is my uh, oncologist. She was sending me for regular CT scans, um, but that sort of eased off now. So I just feel as though had anything have occurred in the last four years, it would have been picked up and dealt with really quickly, which is what you need. You need that. Um, um, you need, to, you, think, you need to be dealt with straight away and not left if, mm. if it's possible mm. do you think your experiences have changed you in any way i think i've always been a strong independent person um as i say i lost my parents when i was 22 and 24 they died within two years of each other so i've always looked after myself being independent um and I, I think it's just an inner inner strength really that I've um there's nobody else can can look after me but me you know mentally wise you know there's um I suppose it's it's a it's a, a want to to live and to to carry on as I say I've got my grandson and if ever I wasn't around to see him grow up you know that would um that would be awful so I put a lot of things to the back of my mind. There are times when I, you know, I think about what I've been through and I think, oh, gosh, I can't believe I did all that. But, you know, nobody holds your hand. You have to do it yourself. Yeah. Amazing. It's all about having that positive outlook, isn't it? And like, yeah. Yeah. while this is a big thing and it will impact me, I am looking to the future and I'm looking... I'm looking to the positives that are in the future. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. Um, finally, to wrap the podcast up, um, what would your words of 
words of advice be people who might be going through the same thing as you going through being diagnosed with cancer i have written something down about that so <laughs> what all i've put is it is very scary when you get your test results but having this diagnosis is not a death sentence uh, with the new treatments and procedures being developed all the time there's every chance you will recover you have to be positive and believe you will get better, which is easier said than done when you're first given that diagnosis. You sort of your bottom drops out of your world and, you know, you can't believe it's happening to you. And, you know, you think about what you could have done to make things to have a different outcome. But sometimes you have no control over that. Um, I still, as I say, I still get really nervous when I go to a review meeting. But I think basically... You've just got to have faith in the professionals who are looking after you. And um, if they're positive, I keep coming up with this word positive all the time, but it's. Um, keep your mind occupied and don't dwell. Focus on other things in your life. Keep active for as long as you can. Socialise as much as you can, even if it's having people to come to, to visit you. Don't shoot yourself away and keep thinking about things. Um, listen to your body. And if you need to rest, then just go with it and rest. You know, don't feel guilty about having a nap at 11 o'clock of the morning. <laughs> just you just go with it because, you you know, you'll feel better with it for it afterwards. Um, and that's it. So it's it's uh, it has been life changing in some ways for me. But I'm still here and I'm, I'm st still alive and. Hopefully for a lot longer than, you know, for, for a long time yet. Oh, that's, that's amazing. Thanks ever so much, Beverly, for sharing okay. your okay. story with us. Okay. Yeah, it's been really inspirational to hear, like, from the beginning of your journey to where you are now and obviously your positive outlook on the future as well. Yeah, I just hope it helps somebody else to, to come to terms with what they're going through and, you know, if it's... Um, to help them so anything that I can can do to, to help that I don't mind at all <laughs> oh lovely thanks so much okay then thank you thank you for listening to the retreat tune in next time for more insights from your colleagues in the West Midlands if you have an interesting story that you would like to tell please get in touch